Thank you. Hallelujah. Well, I have to say, this is a real rare treat for me. Most churches don't have the courage to invite me there. So I know it's a special place when I get to go to church. The, uh, you know, it's interesting. There was like that, I don't know, the, the story is escaping me now because I read the Bible. I've been 30 years immersed in this. But remember, there was a man who was lame who was at the temple begging. And of course, he looks up, he sees Peter and silver and gold of I none, but such as I have, give I thee. And he, you know, you know the story. And the man reaches out his hand and he's, he gets up and he's running. And the thought would come to you, did Jesus not walk at some point past him because he went into the temple? Was there not days when Jesus went every year? He made his journey to Jerusalem, stirred things up, freaked out the religious, did a miracle service, and then took off. This guy was laying there, hearing about it and watching it, and the time, time came when it was his turn, but it wasn't supposed to be Jesus that did it. It was supposed to be an apostolic connection. And uh, Pastor Tim, who was also for me Apostle Tim, he is one of those people that I've known, I've passed by and been in conferences, and I've known we're supposed to connect. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, not yet. So there are relationships that God has for you that are for a certain time. And you don't know why, you just know the Lord says, not yet. And so you kind of like pass by uh, and you know, you get a witness with each other and it's great, or you watch each other maybe on the internet. And then the time comes when it's the time. And when you connect, the way that it works is immediately both your feet and ankle bones are made stronger. Both of you can run because both of you have formed a connection in the timing of God with the anointing of God for the body of Christ to come together at another level. And what we're looking for in Pentecost, I believe, is a different kind of visitation than the one that we are accustomed to. And this is difficult because we're all more religious than we think we are. We all think we're cutting edge because compared to everybody else, we are kind of the radical fringe of the family tribe. But let's face it, even we have our traditions. I remember once I was at a meeting with Peter Wagner uh, and he was having all, you know, P Peter could convene the most eccentric group of individuals because he had the stature of academia. And so he could have an Ed Silvoso and a John Kelly and a Chuck Pierce and, and a Che Ahn and, and it was just uh, Robert Henderson, just the most unusual exotic group of people that would never get along with each other in any other environment, all in unity because there was a convening presence there with Peter Wagner. And for some reason, Peter didn't make the meeting, some whatever that came up. And I invited my friend Rick Joyner to come down and join the party. I said, come on, Rick, this is great. All these guys get together. And I just introduced him to Seven Mountains and just started working with Rick. So he flew down on his plane and came down. And there we were. It was a disaster. <laughs> because what I learned is, it doesn't matter if you have a revelation or an anointing. If you don't have the anointing of recognition, you can't manifest what you've got. I want you to think about that. Because some of you might get frustrated at times. You feel you've got something. Well, here's your problem. You have to pray for the anointing of recognition. Because until other people recognize what you've got, they can't get what you carry. And so there's a certain frustration that you'll have when you're walking around with a revelation nobody really wants to hear. <laughs> 
was me for a while. So anyway, I remember into that vacuum. Now, Peter could hear it. Peter was brilliant that way. Because Peter had, because to an extent, the less ego you have, the more quick you are to identify Jesus. See, if you've got a need to be recognized, your, ten, your tendency is to go, me, me, how about me? And then it kind of like you're missing where Jesus is and the other people because you're waiting for them to recognize Jesus in you. So one of the things that I'll tell you a real quick hint here, if you want the anointing of recognition, whatever you sow, you reap. So start recognizing Jesus at work in other people. And do it not manipulatively, but genuinely. Ask God for Holy Ghost eyes to see Jesus. Next thing you know, you start acknowledging what Jesus is doing. And you'll find out that those people, will re reciprocity happens very fast. They suddenly see who you are. Because you and their mother see the genius in them. So, I'm sitting there at this meeting. I did not have the anointing recognition that, but Peter knew what I was carrying. And he pulled me aside. He goes, man, Lance, this Seven Mountain thing, this, uh, this, uh, all this stuff, even like with Donald Trump, even with Cyrus, even with microchurch, even with Ecclesia, all that stuff that is common trending topics now, he would always say to me, he said, look, you're going to get revelations. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You're going to teach a lot of things other people are going to pick up on, and they're going to be more famous than you because your gift is to revelate and release it, and their gift is to, is to take it and carry it. You've got to be happy with that. I said, okay. So I'm at that meeting, and I said, look, so it shouldn't be a total loss while we're all together. Why don't we all pick one city, one city, where we can all put all of our poker chips into the middle of the table instead of holding out our database, our mailing list, our meetings, and our call. Why don't we all just be generous and invest apostolically and prophetically in one breakthrough city, and we're all full tilt. Every one of us, let's commit to making that place where it's the thinnest possible place in the spirit, the place with the greatest potential to breakthrough for revival. Let's make that the epicenter of our Ephesus, our Antioch. Let's labor together as one in unity, in humility, and let's see what happens if if we move together in unity and put all of what we have into a common purse and watch God break through for America. Isn't that a great idea? I thought it was a great idea. Well, right away, one guy gets up. It's not, I've got to do it. There's a certain kind of way we have to pray. And other guys, we have to preach this. Then it's signs and wonders. And now we're going to have the ecclesia. It was like a cacophony of what needs to be done. Couldn't even agree on the same city. Well, when it was over, I tried to look at the optimistic side of it. I thought, well, we've advanced the ball. We started the process. We all got to know each other a little bit. But I'll tell you, in preacher world, there's certain lines you learn. I'm going to give you one of them. If you ever hear this one, it's the kiss of death. I'm going to tell you the line right now. So how was the meeting? And they say, it's always good to get together and have fellowship. That's code word for what a waste of time. <laughs> so I said, Rick, what'd you think? He goes, it's always good to get together and have fellowship. <laughs> and I know the code. And I looked at him, I said, that bad? He said, yep, pretty much. <laughs> I said, why? He said, because you don't listen to your own revelation. I said, what? You don't listen to your own message. 
He said, you're the one that told me there's these vertical hierarchies of power with gates of influence that shape nations and media has a place and academia shapes something. And entertainment and arts and movies and songs shape something. And, and uh, you said finance and business shape something and politics shape something. He said, let me ask you a question. How much authority did you think you had in that room? I said, we had the biggest, most potent apostolic people I know. Why, there's so much apostolic testosterone in that room. If you let a match, it blow a place up. He said, that's my point. You didn't have enough authority. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it's the diversity of the authority you're lacking. All of it was crammed in one mountain. It's all church breakthrough. You don't listen to your own message. Where was a government person who's carrying an anointing for breakthrough? Where was an artist with a breakthrough anointing? Where was a big businessman like Soros with a breakthrough anointing? Where was, your, where was your media person who's got a Breitbart that wants to break out and start proclaiming the truth and exposing the mischief? You didn't have, all you had was one mountain. And I thought, oh my gosh, why is that? He said, because religious conditioning. You keep thinking that it's the church is the central actor. The church is the catalytic engine behind the breakthrough. It isn't the front act on stage. Does that make sense? Well, as time went by, I began to realize, well, maybe there's something I'm missing here. And I began to look more at the, uh, the gates of influence and do you want to know how the Seven Mountain Message started? I'm going to tell you a little secret. It's either an angel or a total deception. You see, I traveled with Kim Clement. Kim Clement and I would travel around. And uh, I would be like Gordon Lindsay. He'd be like William Branham. I'd do the teaching and he'd do the prophesying. And when he prophesied something that nobody could understand, he'd have me try to figure it out and explain it. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I, I liked the role. And when he suddenly had a stroke or something happened, he and I were supposed to meet Donald Trump on the same day. We were, st we were staying in the same hotel, and he didn't show up, and I sat there. And for the first time, I had to hear God for myself pulling on his prophetic anointing. So remember, like Benny Hinn was around, Catherine Coleman. And even though I could prophesy and do prophecy, I really just said, okay, I'm just going to draft off of my buddy Kim, who I was supposed to be sitting with. He's not here. And I, and I actually started, boom, I pulled in a prophetic discerning on Donald Trump in that moment. Because Kim was not there to tell me what he heard so that I could explain it. Before we got there, I had an experience with uh, an angel and his ministry, which was very strange. He told me about a senator named Mike Kratz who was in Atlanta, Georgia, Collier's County, Georgia. He had prophesied a word to him that he was going to have a son named Caleb, and his son Caleb was going to be in a political office, and I believe might be someday be involved with a presidential campaign, and that, and that Mike Kratz was himself going to be in politics. At that time, Mike was a real estate businessman thinking about government. But now he's got a word that he's going to be in politics. He's going to have a son named Caleb. His son Caleb is going to be in the government, maybe even president someday. And that he himself, uh, he took it as a confirmation. So he transitions from being a big real estate magnet mogul into running for uh, state senator in Georgia. And while he's on the campaign trail, he falls down and has a heart attack. Not only has a heart attack, he dies. 
which is really inconvenient when you're trying to fulfill a prophecy. So he sends me the video because the ambulance has a, a camera showing him in front of the ambulance where they're trying to revive him on the pavement outside of the Marriott Hotel. So I've got a little time clock going, tick, 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 tick. So I know exactly it was like 35 minutes without a heartbeat. I know what was going on. So what happens is he dies. He's out of his body. Can't get a heartbeat. And he's up there in heaven. Now where he's in heaven, he says there's different compartments in heaven. He hasn't crossed over no place, which if he knew if he crossed over, he could never come back from. But he was drawn to that place. He wanted to go. But he was in a place called paradise. And there was a tree there, which he believes is the tree of life. And the tree of life with his 12 manner of fruit. And he was describing this tree. And, and he said, and, and, when, and when Jesus was there, and he described to me heaven, and he said, Lance, he said, I was there, but I knew that I hadn't crossed over too far yet that I couldn't come back. And where I was, I wanted to stay there. And he said at this time, he had already adopted a son named Caleb. So he had the son, but he never fulfilled the prophecy of him being elected to office. So, now catch this. I am going to interview him. I hear from Kim about the guy having his visit to heaven. And I thought, well, I'm going to go down to Georgia. I'm going to interview him because obviously he did live. And he lives because his wife makes sure he fulfills his assignment. When he was put into the, uh, you know, the operating room in there, they couldn't revive him, and they came out to Phyllis, his wife, and they said, Phyllis, uh, your husband has, is an organ donor on his, based on what his driver's license says, and so we would like him to donate his organs, but we need you to sign off. She goes, oh, I'm not signing off on that. She goes marching right in there where his cadaver is laying there with all the dispirited, you know, revival crew trying to resurrect him and uh, she goes up and grabs him and starts prophesying the word of the Lord says that you're going to have a son your son's going to name Caleb and he's going to walk in the same steps as his father and serve in a political office Michael the word of the Lord says that you're going to have a son and that you're going to be in politics and she's prophesying over him what was prophesied over them by Kim Clement and then the uh, doctor there calls the security because that's what you do with a delirious Pentecostal. You got to get the lady out of here. We got, she's not handling this very well. So security comes in. And security is trying to, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me. And she's trying, they're trying to separate her from her husband. At which point, this is a great incident, incidentally, a great uh, insight into prophetic prayer. She stops rehearsing the promise and commands the situation. As the, she said she actually was hurt. Her arm had bruises on it. As the, as the policeman there, security, was pulling her out of the room, she breaks free, slaps her hands together, and says, Michael, come back into your body now. Not even in the name of Jesus. Just command him to come back like he was being disobedient. Next thing you know, Jesus is talking to him. The last thing Jesus says to him is that he has an unfinished assignment and that rather than his wife and his daughter coming to him, he has to go back and finish the assignment. And he's back in his body. And he said he knew actually it was going to hurt when he got back, which is interesting. He wasn't going to be like instant healing. He said, oh, I knew it was going to be painful going back into that. And he, I really didn't want to go. He said, if you ever get there, it's kind of like, oh, now that I'm here, let's stay here on the beach. Why don't you just get them and bring them to me? That's an interesting mentality you have. Kill him off, whatever's got to happen. Come on, bring him up here. Listen. So, I'm anxious to record the story. I uh, have a strange conversation 
with Kim's secretary, Debbie. This is a bit mysterious. I'm talking to Debbie. I said, Debbie, I've got a film crew. I'm going down to meet Senator Mike Kratz, and I'm going to go interview him, get that story. I pretty much got the uh, part of the story. But what he saw and what happened to him in that heavenly you know, transition there, like he was there for like 40, 30 minutes there in heaven. What, 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 I want to know what, he's, what happened. She said, well, I swear this is the truth. She said, when he was there, he didn't want to, he didn't want to come back to earth. He wanted Phyllis and Caleb to come up there, right? I know that. And so Jesus showed him something. I want to show you something. And he showed him. It had like a lake there, almost like a plasma screen TV. It suddenly became like three-dimensional lake, kind of like a sea of glass type thing. You could see through it like a plasma, like a, like a like screen. And, uh, it, and suddenly it was an ocean. And here's what she says. And, the, and that there was this, these, this, this uh, shaking, and out of the ocean comes these these seven islands, these seven mountains come up out of the ocean. And, uh, and the Lord says, those are seven world kingdoms. And then one great mountain came up above and oh, towering over them. And the Lord said, and that is the mountain of my kingdom. And so she's telling me the story. I said, wow, this is the origin of seven mountains. So I go, oh, well, then th th what happened? She goes, then... Then the Lord pointed to the one in the middle and said, that is the government mountain. And you were called to go into it. But, Michael, there must be agreement. And at the moment the Lord says the word agreement, his wife commands him back into his body to fulfill his assignment. Well, you can imagine this really got me. I didn't know what the other six mountains were. I only knew one of them was government. I knew there was a mountain towering all of them, which is the kingdom of, this world, kingdom of God, which is greater than all the kingdoms of this world, I heard the Lord say in this little conversation. And it's like I walked into the vision while Debbie was telling me this. I saw it happen. I said, oh, my God, this is trippy. I can see it. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I go down to Connors, Georgia. I meet Mike Kratz, Senator Kratz. Hello, Senator. Phone crew set up there. I got my little Kathy Lee Gifford personality over here introducing him, and I'm sitting down to do my cool little interview. So, Michael, Senator Kratz, what happened when these seven mountains came up? He goes, the what? I go, remember the islands that became mountains, and then the great mountain that came up, and my kingdom is greater than all the kings of this world, and that mountain is the mountain of government. You're called to be into it, and uh, there must be agreement. He goes, uh... I don't know. I never. I, I, I can't remember. He said, all I know is the Lord told me certain things I was going to remember, certain things I was going to forget, and some of it I won't remember, some of it I'll remember. He said, but I, I remember there was that plasma screen TV, and I saw these islands showing, and there was a great shaking, and people went to those islands, and the Lord said to me, notice that those islands where my people are rising up, they are unshakable, and they are ruling in their kingdoms. And the Lord was showing me there'd be a time when people would step into their sphere that God assigned to them and that they would have authority in the sphere and they would be unshakable and that others would come to them because in the shaking that was coming, they wouldn't shake. I said, but what about the, uh, the mountains and the, you know, the big mountain over all of them and all that? And my problem was I had already preached the message at the first Voice of Apostles conference with Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, Heidi Baker at Charles Stock's church. I preached it on my way to Atlanta to go interview him. And the anointing was on the whole thing, even though it was wrong. <laughs> and worse yet, 
supernatural confirmation on my deception. Because I said to them, I said, let's rise up at the end of this. I said, and I believe God's speaking to us, and here's a little seven-mountain thing. I have my first whiteboard illustration. I said, here's what it looks like. And I said, now, on the count of three, put your hands up in the air, and we're going to say, as one. And I'll say, as one. And we'll say, as one at the same time. And we went, one, two, three, as one. And we said, as one. And the entire angelic realm over us shouted back, as one. As we said, as one, it came back and echoed back, as one, right over us. Everybody got up and started screaming. Because we didn't know if it was an echo or whether that was angels. Except that I went back there and did it 25 times after that to see if I could repeat the same effect and we could never do it. I think the first time we did it, it was angels said, as one, as one. So I called Debbie up. I go, Debbie, what the world? I've got the whole revelation. People are thinking this is a Mike Cross revelation. None of it's true. She goes, Pastor Lance, I don't recall talking to you about any of this. I go, Debbie, I talked to you before I went down. She goes, Pastor Lance, I'm sorry. I'm not saying you're a liar. But you must have talked to someone else, but it wasn't me. I said, well, who else is Debbie that talks with your accent and sounds like a... And I realize, oh, I have no idea who I talk to. But that's, I get, it's just, what, what number is this? Well, that's my number, but you didn't talk to me. That's how Seven Mountains started. I have no idea who I talk to. Honest to God truth. But I think it's a great revelation. <laughs> so after that, I go up to Kelowna, British Columbia, and I meet Lauren Cunningham. Lauren Cunningham tells me the story. Lance, ever tell you about the time that uh, I just met him there? You ever tell you about the time that I, uh, I met Bill Bright? And uh, Bill Bright and I were met together, and we were out there. I was out there seeking the Lord in a tent out there in Colorado. And then uh, Mounted Police comes up with an envelope. I'm supposed to go meet Bill Bright at a restaurant. He said, because one of the guys, that, uh, one of my donors, who uh, you know, knew I was out there seeking the Lord, wanted me to meet with Bill Bright, and so he arranged the meeting. A Mounted Police comes to a, a tent in the wilderness and says, go meet Bill Bright. So like, the Lord's telling me. And what the Lord gave me was he gave me these uh, six mind molders of culture. He said, he that captures these will capture the culture of nations. And they were church, family, and education, and business, and media, and arts, and government. And so uh, he wasn't so clear on the business at that point, though. That was why it was six instead of seven. And so he goes and meets Bill Bright. Now, Lauren Cunningham's Youth with a Mission, Pentecostal. You've got to understand, in the religious world, Pentecostals back then were a little goosey around fundamentalist evangelicals. Because evangelicals, up until recently, many charismatics were, people have spoken tongues and believed in miracles, were kind of like from the other side of the tracks. And so that shifted somewhere around the charismatic movement. But your parents paid a big price for being Pentecostals if they were around them. Evangelicals were like the Billy Graham group. They were considered radical enough, but they didn't go for this, you know, people running around speaking in languages and handling snakes, which is what, you know, they thought Pentecostals were. But Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham were forced to meet by a donor who funded both Campus Crusade for Christ and Youth with a Mission, the two world's largest youth ministries. So they met awkwardly, wondering if they're going to get along. They never would have done it on their own. The donor made them do it. And they're sitting there. And so Lauren says, uh, I'm seeking the Lord, Bill, about what can change the world. And the Lord gave me something. And it's, I'm calling it mind molders of culture. And he goes and lists his six or seven mind molders of culture. Bill Bright stares at him and goes, it's amazing. Pulls out of his pocket an envelope where the Lord's talking to him about seven world kingdoms. 
And one says church, the other says religion. One says academia, the other says education. One says um, family, the other one says family. One says politics, the other says government. One says media, the other one says news. One says entertainment, the other one says arts. One says finance, the other one says business. They lined up exactly. Both of them had the same revelation. Both of them headed up youth organizations. Both of them had the insight, but the timing in terms of the church wasn't totally there yet. It made for a novel story. I put the story together, got the story out there. Oz Hillman got it, Johnny Enlow got it, a bunch of people got it, people wrote books on it. The thing was like, and, and people that hear it, here's the interesting thing. If you get a revelation and it's really a God revelation, here's a weird thing that'll happen. I've seen it happen. I've been with Dutch, as a matter of fact, when this has happened, and we both were laughing about it. You could preach or say something, and if it's really a revelation and someone else is anointed to be a messenger, the moment you say it, it's as though they get lit by the same torch, and it's as though they got it themselves. And even later on, it's a revelation they got, not a revelation you got. Because it's so real for them, it's as though God gave it to them directly. But that's a burning bush experience. That's a, that's a torch that's lighting a torch that's lighting a torch. It's a real torch. It's a real revelation. But I'm saying this for a reason. Part of the new Pentecost, I'm going to loop this all together, is that the church is going through a shaking and a shift. And you're going to have the challenge, like me, of being a generation that is able to take the glasses off of yourself and notice when your own religious conditioning is speaking, such as my paradigm that anything God's going to do, he's going to do with a room full of prophets and apostles because we're the catalyst for the move of God. And the Lord was saying, the real authority is the body of Christ being catalyzed by a move of God in the church that catalyzes them. You have to take the glasses off to be able to see it. Does that make sense? It also means that the, the move of God is going to be a kingdom movement, not a church movement, which means the church, the whole thing about ecclesia is that it's the, it's the small gathering of people with spiritual authority in a sphere that can shift that environment. So to a great extent, it's a hidden phenomena. You may not even see it. Give an example. So I'm doing this Seven Mountain message. I'm going to Aruba. Aruba, because my wife likes to go to Aruba because she wants to go there on vacation and get me away from everybody else so that we can just be together in Aruba. But I always find a church or a church finds me. So I ended up at this church preaching in Aruba. I go up to a flip chart. I'm on the flip chart. And, uh, and I draw this circle. And uh, a strange thing is going to happen because they have a drought in Aruba. And it's a drought before I get there. For some reason, it was a drought. But while I was there that night, and I wasn't looking for this, I wasn't even connecting the dots. Because I would like to have manifestations of gold dust and feathers and angels. I don't want strange demonic manifestations. I want glory manifestations. So I don't even pay attention to things. But I'm sitting there, and it's like a tsunami. It's like this this. They call it, they have a word for it, but it was like a tempest breaks out while I'm preaching because the drought is broken by this violent storm that erupts. 
And it's like, oh, I'm ignoring the weather pattern stuff. I don't want to even talk about weather patterns. I'm not even going to associate it with the fact that I'm there because people do that, and I think it's a bit strange. But you can't deny this one. The storm was so severe that it knocked down the power grid for Aruba. Okay, the Aruba power grid is out. Coincidental, unfortunate, I happen to be here during a drought that becomes a storm that knocks out the power grid. Except, with the power out, and I can tell you this because I know you don't think I'm crazy. With the power out, a voice comes on the amplifiers and the speakers while there's no electricity on the island. And the voice goes, Pete is angry, angry, angry. And I thought, yeah, they have a certain language there, and I remember it's called Papamento. I thought, oh, they're speaking Papamento. This is an angry policeman. And my head is putting together the fact that it must be like a CB thing where there's an angry policeman outside talking on a radio, and it's coming through the loudspeaker, which sometimes can happen if your stereo picks up a police frequency. And so I turned to, to, to Lizette, who's the businesswoman, who's the pastor of the church, and I said, what are they saying? She goes, oh, Dr. Lance, oh, that's not a human. I've never heard that voice before. That's not even a language we speak. I go, what? She goes, I think this is very exciting. <laughs> I'm going, I, I am not so excited. Guy jumps up in the middle of the uh, meeting. Boom, he's on his cell phone. He's the head of the public utility. He comes up, he goes, strangest thing. When you were up there at the flip chart and you said, the hour is coming when the seven mountains of the age to come and the seven mountains of this antichrist system of this age are going to collide. And when those two kingdoms collide, a great shaking is going to come to the earth. Kaboom. At that moment, the power went out. This angry voice came on and the power grid. It was crazy. At that moment was when it all manifested. He said, the moment that you did that, the surge of energy came up from under the ground beneath the power plant and fried out the power plant. He said it was like a bolt of lightning came up from under the earth. I said, well, then this is the freakiest part. Lizette's housekeeper, because she's a single woman, housekeeper calls freaking out because at the moment that this voice spoke in the church, that same voice was speaking in Lizette's house, and the housekeeper was there walking around with a flashlight trying to see if they had anyone that broke in. She said this angry, deep-seated voice was going, rawr, 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 speaking some language I didn't know, and it was right here in the house, but I couldn't find anybody. Lizette goes, this is so exciting, Dr. Lance. <laughs> some people are so odd, what, what they, because she said, this is God. I think that's kind of a wild story. Because she's actually, like right now, if I'm not mistaken, I think she's running for prime minister and likely to get elected. She's running for office. Successful businesswoman, a successful pastor who is not frightened, freaked out by the inexplicable or the paranormal, but as a, prof as a person who understands spiritual things says, hey, I'm just going to take this all in stride. I think God is about to shift nations. But you see, part of that is she has to step into her role. There must be agreement. She has to step into her role. Mike Crott's got elected four times. 
to state senate legislator in in uh, Georgia. He wasn't around. He's still alive right now. He'll tell you the story. Boom, four times. So I look at the seven mountains. I look at the evolution of these things, and I say, I think world kingdoms. Now, now, now it's almost like old news to say, well, what do you think about fake news? If I say fake news, everybody knows fake news because Donald Trump made it famous. I can go around the world. I run, I run into people in other countries. Fake news. They, they don't know English. They just say fake news because Donald Trump labeled it, and they're laughing because they know it's fake. The only people that don't know it's fake are liberals in the United States. So, but now we see the danger of corrupt government, the power of media when it suppresses news, controls news, deplatforms you. You see what I'm talking about? Those things we were talking about 10 years ago, now they're more relevant than ever. And it has something to do with what's happening here. So I meet Pastor Tim. I meet him over the years, but I know the time is going to come when we're going to connect together. And I think that the time is coming when the body of Christ is going to have a catch with us. I believe the patterns are in the Bible for the hour we're living in. You go to Ezekiel, and where Ezekiel talks about uh, God comes to Ezekiel and says, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looks at this great army of bones. And uh, as he's looking at it, I mean, you could, you could turn it. We probably should have a... The bug, sorry. Could be a prophetic act. I never know. Just whatever it is, it's done. Ezekiel uh, 37. Ezekiel 37. So I'm looking at this because I'm saying, Lord, there's a great shaking happening, great shaking happening in the earth right now. And as the shaking is happening, and I'm, uh, where is my Ezekiel? And as the shaking is going on, I'm looking at it. So Psalm, it's Ezekiel 37 and uh, verses 1 through 10. This is where the prophet is, is talking about uh, the Lord says, can these bones live? And he says, well, you know, Lord. And so the Lord says, prophesy, son of man. And so he starts to prophesy. And the bones start to shake. And when a great shaking happens, I want you to take a look at this. It's Ezekiel 37, verse 7. Ezekiel 37, verse 7. Check this out. Because the upper room is shaking right now. The nations are shaking. There's an environmental, spiritual collision going on. There we go, the valley of dry bones. So I prophesied as it was commanded, as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And why do the bones have to come together? Because look, uh, look at what the complaint is that these bones have. In verse 11, he says, Then they said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried, our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Stop and look at that for a second. We are cut off for our parts, or we are cut off from our parts. You know what this means? This means that as long as the body of Christ is disconnected, there is a natural atrophy and weakness that comes into us in resisting the devil and entering into the fullness of what God wants to produce. He wants to produce a great and mighty army, and what you end up doing is you end up taking a whole lot of energy just to be a personal overcomer in your own circle. But it's because the shaking that's happening politically, the shaking that's happening in persecution, the shaking that's happening in other areas, you have to be very careful how you respond to it. You can't only be reacting against it, you have to respond of responses to discern what the Father is calling you into and to move towards it because in the shaking, God is causing us to discover each other so that we can connect bone to bone. And as we connect, we find the anointing is there to raise up a great army. Let me say that again because everything I said is for that purpose. 
You can have revelations, you can have manifestations, you can have experiences, you can have ideas of what the future is like and be moving, trying to make it happen, it doesn't happen. All of it's okay. It'll all go into the collective cul-de-sac of God's maturing in your life. But there comes a moment when you have to start to discern the ecclesia that God is aligning you with. And I can't be more serious than this. The ideas we talked about have now got to move into a new level of administration. So I'm interested, where are the relationships I'm called to connect with? Because the upper room, for us, isn't a building. It's a dimension where we meet God. You have to go up to an upper room. You can't have the upper room come down to meet you where you are. This move of God that we're looking for has come down as far as it's going. The only way that you're going to be in part of this next move is to go up into it. Now, when you go up there, who do you meet? Other people who have ascended out of the flesh, out of their ego, out of the devil, out of the trap of other things. Because you're meeting people that are ascending into a position in the spirit realm where when you meet, God can join you bone to bone, sinew to sinew, ligament to ligament. And when you connect, the anointing speaks strength to where you're weak and it, it strengthens not only both of you or all of you, but it releases the army anointing for the next move of God. Does that make sense? So the, uh, we're cut off from our parts, meaning that many of us are disconnected. This is a vast reorganizing going on in the body of Christ. It's a time for great singularity of focus, great fear of the Lord, great humility, because right now God is basically reshuffling the deck and reassigning people with recommissioned relationships, and the people that wouldn't move with what God wants to do, he's got to pull back, and the people that do move, he's got to push forward. You might find yourself standing there and have a completely different alignment around you because you're moving with God and other people simply are not. There comes a time where there's a consequence for not moving with what God wants to do. So, uh, and you think that you're going to be popular and you think it's going to be popular with what you represent is going to be well spoken of. I, this is a sober thought while well, we were sitting down there where... When Pastor Tim was, uh, was talking earlier, I heard, uh, this way everywhere will be spoken again. So I went to Acts 28, verse 22. I had to look it up. I said, I know that's in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, when he gets to Rome, no sooner does he get to Rome, and what do they say to him? All we can tell you is, everywhere this move is spoken against. Think about this. The apostolic work of the first century church, right in the heart of Rome itself, had fake news propagandizing the people against it before Paul even got there to give them his testimony. So don't be surprised if you are uh, commissioned with your assignment and it seems as though there is, a, there is a conspiracy of misinformation surrounding you. When I go to Washington and see that that bizarre kabuki theater of theatrics with all the chain link fence and the barbed wire and I'm thinking who the heck are these guys trying to protect themselves from a whole bunch of frustrated Walmart intercessors who went up to uh, January 6th to uh, Washington we still don't know what happened in Washington on the front lines we know that we had three months and 40 cities of devastation by a well-funded anarchy machine operating as an as a militia 
and our people were so badly organized, they, they got sucked into something, walking around with flags and taking selfies. And there's your insurrection that you have to protect yourself from. Only a moron would believe that. I was there. I saw it. I walked among the people. I said, we're getting set up for something right now. And you know what bothers me? We were set up, and we did not have our leaders standing there. At my, my perspective, the president did not have the strength of the church there to protect a transition moment in history. Most of them were not there, or if they were there, they were sitting there watching or praying or walking. They weren't appropriately positioned around the president to warn him or warn the movement on what was coming. So all of the chest thumping and prophetic arguing about who do you believe the prophets, standing with the prophets, the prophets, all of us missed it. It isn't about whether Trump's president, whether Trump's president, how about January's we should have seen the setup. That's what humbled me. I didn't see it. I didn't lift up a flare. I didn't send off a warning. Watch out. So I had to sit back and say, okay, Lord, you're doing something kind of like the disciples running on the night Jesus was betrayed. This isn't the final act, but it's a revelation of our condition. So now as we're heading towards the upper room, we're doing a fearless moral inventory, as my Alcoholics Anonymous former pastor used to tell me I needed to do. He said, you know, every Christian I know should go through AA. Because one of the first things you got to do is do a fearless moral inventory. You have to face yourself. You have to make amends for what you've done wrong. And you have to be honest about where you're screwing up. That's a good point. We should do an honest assessment. Every one of those disciples in the upper room, trust me, was having a fearless moral inventory flat on the floor for 10 days because they all, with the exception of John, fled or were hiding when Jesus had to recollect them. This wasn't a bold Al-Qaeda movement. So uh, I think the shaking is going to help us find each other. I'm telling you something. You're going to have to, I pray in Jesus' name, every one of you can discern more powerfully now than ever before Jesus and other people. Remember the anointing of recognition? Before anybody's going to recognize what you've got, you've got to start recognizing Jesus in them and move towards where you see Jesus. Because the power of agreement is going to be in the ecclesia that God puts together. I remember one picture I had of New Hope, Pennsylvania. I came from New Hope, and, and uh, when I first uh, got filled with the Spirit, I did a slideshow. I used to do presentations for evangelism. And I had a picture of a witch, witch's coven in New Hope, Pennsylvania. It was in National Geographics. And this witch's coven is like around 11 or 12, really sinister, dark-looking people. And they're standing there in this little, you know, eyes are like, you know, wide and scary looking. And they're all sitting there smiling for the picture for National Geographics. But there was a weird thing. There was a blue electric a current that was wrapped around the perimeter of them. And the photographer for National Geographic says he'd never seen it before where there was an electrostatic current that was in the room developing the picture and the electrostatic actually showed up in the picture. He didn't know how it was possible. That some, it wasn't in the photograph. It showed up in the photograph. And he couldn't figure out how the electrostatic circle of blue electricity so there. Well, he went back to the coven. They said, oh, we see that all the time. Now catch this. I know this is going to be a weird message to give you. They said the reason why covens are small is you only can have agreement with the right people in the room. And we all think more people, the better. The more packed out, the better. 
Well, maybe not. That's maybe there's more unbelief you're working through in there. When it comes to certain kind of administrations and operations of the Spirit, the devil knows something we know. You don't want everybody in the room. You want the people that are called and can operate in the same flow to be in the room. Then the current of heaven is turned on. Does that make sense? That's why there was only 120 in the upper room. The angels had to keep weeding the place out so the right people were there because they had to be in one mind. That makes sense? All right, final thought, then I'm done. Not that I'm finished with things to say, it's just I feel like I'm finished for now. <laughs> Charles Grant is in Finney. I was talking with the pastor tonight. And, oh, there's so much. Larry, do you have that verse on, from Smith Wigglesworth there? Not a verse from Smith Wigglesworth, but you have that revelation. Do you know that, that uh, Wigglesworth said there was a great move of God coming? He saw it in the future, and it was going to be a move that merged two things together. It was going to be the flow of the supernatural signs and wonders and the flow of the Word of God. The reason why I'm so glad I'm here now and I feel it's God's timing is, you see, one thing I love about this church, about you, is that you're, there are certain groups that are so addicted to the manifestation realm that they have a very shallow capacity to think deeply. And it's not an advantage because, you see, the next move is a word move with the supernatural move. In fact, the revelation that comes from the Bible is going to catalyze the supernatural in the body of Christ to become manifest. So, and we'll dig in this a little bit tomorrow. The final, we're in the Pentecost season right now. I'm saying that God's taking us up to finding each other at a higher level in the spirit realm because he's assembling the ecclesia that will have the supernatural charge of heaven. And it's going to administrate itself in more than one realm. It will be media. It will be political. I'm telling people all the time. I'm trying to get a hold of Donald Trump right now. I'm getting a little bit of resistance. But I've, I don't do this a lot, but I'm putting it out there. i got to get in there and see him now. You know why? Because I got a revelation that we got about 80 million people voted for him. So forgive me for a moment while I get a little political. 80 million people voted for him. Maybe 70 million, they're saying, 75 million, okay. Uh, but about uh, half of that, 35 or so million, are Christians in America. 35 million. Now, I know a whole bunch of Christians didn't vote for him, but the overwhelming evidence, according to George Barna and the data that we have, is like 95%, 90% or 89% of the church, an unprecedented degree of enlightened Christians did vote for him. So, those that are registered to vote, voted for him. Now, now, track with this. We have a problem. Do you know what the problem is with Christians? Religious conditioning. We know that we're supposed to see righteousness prevail, that we're not activists by nature, you see, because we're lovers by nature, and we feel very conflicted about raising our voice or saying anything that could possibly be demonstrative or unpleasant to someone else because in the back of our mind we're thinking it's not Christ-like. And that's a hindrance. Because I could show you all kinds of offensive moments in the Bible where the Apostle Paul, the prophets, and Jesus himself insulted people for their own good. But we don't have a paradigm for that, and I'd literally have to show you the verses for you to be convinced of it, because they're not the verses you put on your refrigerator as a memory verse. <laughs> the Apostle Paul brought before the Sanhedrin, before the high priest, to make his defense, the noble Apostle Paul, trying to present the life-transforming qualities of the power of Jesus to the Jewish community, he starts to make his defense. He gets smacked across the face. And in a moment of remarkable turning of the cheek, the Apostle Paul says, 
God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you seek to judge me according to the law and then contrary to the law, you order me smitten? Hypocrite? And they go, hey, 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 that's the high priest. He goes, oh, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> because it's also written, thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people. Then he takes in the room there, sees half her Pharisees, half her Sadducees, ignores the high priest and says, brethren, listen, you know what the problem is? I'm on trial because of the resurrection from the dead. These people never believe us. That's always a problem. And they get up and they join him and they have a big fight between the two of them. The guy was brilliant. My point is, Elimus the sorcerer, trying to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Paul's trying to witness to the proconsul who is a political leader. First, first evangelism trip he goes after Antioch, laying out of hands, goes out, goes to evangelize. First guy he talks to is a political leader. He's, and he's got some advisor named Elias who's trying to turn the pro-council away from the faith and blasphemy. Paul, characteristic, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind for a season. And immediately a mist of darkness fell upon him. And he went about groping with his hands for someone who lead him by the hand. And the proconsul was astonished seeing the teaching of the Lord. You son of the devil. When will you stop perverting what I'm saying? You're blind. Boom. Now, is that the nice thing to do at Sunday school? <laughs> of course not. Is that the loving thing? Probably not. Here's the point. There's a warrior dimension to the Holy Spirit because it's never personal. The art is to go through enough warfare so that what you do is never personal. It's not out of anger. It's not out of revenge. It's not out of ego. It's simply the best calculated methodology at the moment to set the other person free or to deal with a hindrance. But notice, there's a warrior dimension. Does that make sense to you? So the Lord is going to have to... My point is this. Half the church... Half the people that voted for Trump are not going to change that way. They are still going to go to the ballot box. When they get really aggressive, they go to prayer. I mean, that's, and that, I'm saying that's great, but it's no substitute for activism. You see, 1,000 people just went down to a school board in South Lake, Texas. They just kicked out a mayor, boom, two commissioners, boom, and took over the school board, boom. You know why? 1,000 angry parents who actually were Christians went in and said, you're not taking that race theory and that sex pornography and teaching my child. They've been praying for years for these people. But after they didn't change, they just went in and changed them. The point I'm making is, and this is the part that I'm trying to say, is that there is a, there's a, there's a, a shift that's coming into the church Half of the people that voted for Trump believe in God, are not born again, and love America, and don't like seeing the flag dishonored and burned. They love the flag. They love God. They love church. They love America. They're not born again. They like all of you would probably be if you weren't evangelized properly. You wouldn't be coming out to church right now, but you wouldn't be out there burning down buildings either. I'm saying to you, we got 35 million low-hanging fruit. Everybody's looking for the revival. It's like, oh, move of God, oh, the awakening revival. I'll tell you right now, 
Say what you will. The Apostle Paul was a sign that God took the worst guy and made an example out of him in order to give a message. That wasn't the common experience of the Pharisees. Antifa, for the most part, is not going to be stampeding to the altar in the next move. But there's 30 million Americans who are low-hanging fruit right now, and they don't have the consolation of faith and prayer and a couple of prophets they're following to keep them sane. All they've got is watching America go down the toilet, and they have no faith and no God, and they're praying to God, Donald Trump or somebody gets up and leads. That's the harvest. And you know what's going to happen? Pastor Tim, what's going to happen when 30 million, 20 million, 10 million, 5 million of them come into the move of God. You know what a difference it's going to make when five million people that aren't afraid, aren't ashamed, and aren't well-schooled in religion actually get filled with the Holy Ghost? They'll be the kind of radical believers we're looking for that we have a problem being. They won't have a problem because they won't have any history of religious conditioning to tell them that's not what you do. That's how fast this move of God can shift. If it plugs into revival... And evangelism with a political enlightenment. And boy, will this movie be spoken against. Hey, hey, I'm telling you. Christian nationalism. They're going to call it this. They're gonna, it'll be so spoken against. Oh, my gosh. you got to count the cost to even get associated with it. Because it's going to be the church that will persecute it. Because the religious spirit in the church is the greatest hindrance to the next Pentecost. And you know it's true. So here's the final thought. Done. This move is coming. And the clock is ticking. And it's on its way. I talked to the boss. He's ready. Donald Trump's coming out with those rallies. I'm wondering just how much influence we're supposed to have over him. Because, you know, it's like it's so funny. I was talking to his chief of staff, Mark Meadows. I said, I think we really need to have Donald Trump. I think we need to have... One nation under God. We need to get that theme back because we're fragmenting. We're destroying. We need to go back to the theme of 1956, which is when Billy Graham said to Dwight Eisenhower, if we're not one nation under God, we won't be a nation. We have to find the unit. The only thing that can unify America is faith in, 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 in what God is representing. And the only thing that will destroy us is this antichrist spirit. Well, you know, they're discussing it, and there's a little bit of debate about that. I, even me, I'm wondering, I don't know if it's a good idea, but I say these things sometimes to see what happens. But those rallies can lead to revivals. I don't think Donald Trump's going to be our revivalist, but he certainly does gather a crowd. And he's not against us. He's for us. But it was hilarious when I talked to Mark. It was an awkward moment. Chief of staff for Trump. He's going to deliver this message. And he looks at me and he goes, oh. I can see he was struggling with something. I said, is there something? He said, I just want you to understand something. Uh, the president isn't the best person to preach for you guys. I go, oh, oh, no, 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 no. No, we're not asking him to do any evangelism for us. No, we don't, don't, don't worry about that. Well, we, him be him. We're not, because they thought I was asking that he would do the revival meeting. They, they thought he might not be the right, uh, he might be a little disappointment there. So I said, no, 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 certainly not. I could see why he was perplexed. But tomorrow I'm going to share something with you, which is very important. I want, I want you to, to, uh, to, to prepare your heart, because I think God's going to give us, Pastor, I think God's going to give us an impartation of something this weekend that's going to be the word unlocking for a new manifestation level of the spirit unlocking. I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah, I came here actually just to hang out 
with the event. I didn't come here to speak. I actually came here because I was interested in just me get calibrating, recalibrating with what's happening here with you guys. Because I really believe there's a divine connections happening right now. But there is an anointing I'm going to give you. It's called the signet ring anointing. And I want you all to get ready for that impartation tomorrow. The signet ring anointing is an anointing that is coming down in this move of God upon those who are not necessarily well-recognized or well-known, but who have been given, like the upper room disciples, the power of utterance in their mouth. And what will happen is there will be an increase of voltage coming to authorize utterance out of the mouth of those who are in the Pentecost anointing that God is releasing in the church right now. The signature characteristic of the disciples in the upper room, according to Charles Grandison Finney, the revivalist who opened my eyes to this, he said, what was the power that came out of Pentecost? Was it signs and wonders? There was an augmentation of signs and wonders, but they were already casting out demons and healing the sick before then. They brought the hard cases to Jesus. They already had supernatural things. So what was it? If it wasn't healings and deliverances, they were doing it already. It was just more power. What did they get in the upper room that they didn't have before? And then he said it. The apostle Peter stood up, and we have his script. And within a matter of moments, he spoke words that fixed themselves like arrows in the hearts of people so that they cried out and said, what must we do? The singular power that comes in Pentecost isn't wild revelation, supernatural angels flying through the realm and, and, and signs and wonders, although all of it goes to another level. The actual sign of Pentecost is the power of authorized utterance at a higher level, where your words pierce the hearts of people and they can't shake the impression of what you created. Just a few words spoken under the power of this Pentecost anointing that God's about to release, we'll give you the signet ring anointing. The signet ring you're going to see is the book of Haggai. It's when Cyrus comes on the scene and the Bible starts talking about shaking of heaven and earth. And you start to see the rearrangement of God's kingdom priorities and the upheaval of his people. All of that comes and concludes with one verse. In that day, meaning the end times, when the real shaking happens, I am going to take you, one person, a priest, Lee tribe, a government tribe, a curious merger of the seven mountains in one believer named Zerubbabel. The Lord said, I'm going to make you a signet ring. A signet ring, which is what I have in my hand right here, is a ring that has an imprint on it. And when you put it into the hot wax of a deed, a transaction, or a, uh, or a uh, legal transaction, when you pull that ring out, it fixes an image into the wax. The Lord said... He is releasing an anointing, so you will not only be filled with the truth, possessed by the truth, but when you speak the words the Father gives you, they will go into the soft wax of people's hearts and minds, and when you leave their presence, you will have given to them a permanent impression of the mind and word of Christ that they cannot escape. That's an unusual, and when that happens, the news cycle is going to revolve around those utterances, and there'll be much controversy because the words that come out of the church are actually going to be the words of the Lord warring against the voice of the Antichrist in the earth. And it'll be swords against swords, angels and principalities. It'll be the battle of utterance. 
and it'll divide the nations into sheep and goats. Isn't it exciting? Oh, boy. Well, Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Pastor, would you please come? I thank you. How many of you want that signet ring anointing? I've been watching this thing. It's, it's wild. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you're going to release a signet ring anointing. You're going to be releasing a revelation of this. And you're going to be putting a coal to our lips to burn the confession that must not come out and fix in us the impression that must come forth. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Take us up, Lord, into that Pentecostal upper room. Take us into that new shaking up of the body of Christ coming together bone to bone, ligament to ligament, relationship. I'm calling forth the new friends, new alignments, new provision. Oh, thank you, Lord. And you don't need many to be in that electric field of ultimate power. In fact, you just need a few less, but you need the ones that God gives you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Wow, what a strong key. I, uh, of course, I, had, I have no idea what, <clears throat> what Lance was going to share. And certainly not about tomorrow, but now I have to share something 15, almost 15 years ago. And I don't, Lance wouldn't know this. I don't see how you would know it anyway. Holy Spirit began to speak to me about, well, he said to me, as I, as I prayed all night, several nights by a lake not far from here, he said, I am coming to lead another campaign on the earth similar to Acts chapter 2. But this time, I'm going to bring far more of the angel armies, and they are going to assist my New Testament church that I begin to study and begin to call a new ecclesia, uh, which is his name for church. And he said the authority of that church would be carrying the definition as he defined church in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. One, that is working in a position of government power seated with Christ to influence culture and he said the authority of the apostolic call I put on your life I want uh, I want you to study and I begin to study and God told me to get a signet ring and I have worn it every day since that is in Hebrew almighty God you didn't know that God's, God's talking to us about something very, very important. Because we are moving into a different level of authority. We are going to forbid some things. We're going to change some things. And just like you just heard, we've got to ascend to a different level. And... Uh, I feel that this weekend is somehow going to accelerate that. So I'm anxious to hear what you have to say tomorrow because I've shared it a little bit, but not a lot. 
In fact, the whole idea of the angel armies came out of that event, that night, that encounter. I'm telling you, the king has in mind an ecclesia that will connect. And we are being connected. I've been connected all over this United States and I haven't tried. It's just God's doing it. And this weekend, I don't, I don't know how to say it except there's something about a connectedness beginning not just here but in all of the churches represented and those watching a connected uh, a connectedness that's the key because if you could get if you could get them connected you raise up an army no longer dry bones an army <laughs> <laughs> 